You're listening to the Hub City Church Podcast. To learn more about Hub City Church, including our gathering times, you can check out our website at albanyhubcity.com. Amen. Good morning. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Good morning. Thanks for coming. My name's Gabe. I'm one of the elders here at Hub City. And we're obviously, we're going through Advent. Last week, Greg walked us through the theme of peace. A couple weeks before that, uh, Matt took us through uh, the theme of hope. Next week is Christian love uh, on Christmas Eve. And all of these themes are threads throughout the tapestry of Scripture and are so well highlighted at this Christmas Advent season. They both represent Christ's character, of course, God's character, as well as traits that His children, that's us, uh, should emulate and present to the world. In other words, they're the fruit of the Spirit in us due to the advent or arrival of the Messiah. By now you will have heard that these aren't just themes that we see scattered throughout Scripture at random, but uh, are actually uh, intentional uh, words, intentional themes. And as Greg pointed out last week in his sermon on peace and how a whole generation sought peace in all the wrong places, these themes are longings of our hearts and souls that only perfectly can be found in Christ. To piggyback on Greg's DC Talk reference, I would be remiss to not quote their other theological statement that love is a verb. And hope and peace and joy also compel us to an action. Joy is something that we are all aware of as, of course, a positive thing. It's an inner uh, uplifting and a state of being. It may seem different from happiness, which is an emotion from positive circumstances or things that you can pursue. But joy and happiness are related. They're emotions. A difference that we may make in English, however, is that joy is an emotion that supersedes your circumstances. And for Christians, it's also a command and an invitation. Before we go further, uh, pray with me. Father, open our hearts and minds this morning to hear from you. Will you speak through your word and above all else, Lord? Uh, may we myself included, come to know you better and to learn to experience the fullness of joy found in your presence. Amen. Already got out of order. Especially this time of year, it's a Christian and Christmas tradition to focus on joy surrounding Christ's birth. In carols and songs we sing, but did you know that the classic Christmas carol, Joy to the World, was actually not originally a Christmas song. It was written uh, to reflect the joy of the second coming of Christ. And while we typically sing it at Christmas, uh, it was not intended to just be a celebration of the baby born in a manger, but author Isaac Watts, when he wrote it in the early 1700s, was thinking of the future coming of Christ. He pulled his inspiration from Psalm 98, which I'm going to read here. As I read it, think of the song, the carol, uh, but listen to the tone of joy throughout this psalm, inspired by that, uh, that inspired the familiar song. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. 
for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked out salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. All the earth break forth in joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with the trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and all who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. The joy in this psalm is a joy of the recognition of the return and work of Christ. A celebration from the heart and soul of every man and woman, every creature, even the seas and the rivers. Let heaven and nature sing, as Isaac Watts wrote. In light of this psalm and many other verses that I'll reference today, I'd like us to consider that joy, specifically Christian joy, as I mentioned a moment ago, is an action word. It's a deep feeling that at times is unexplainable. Strong's Concordance gives the word in Psalm 98 for rejoice, the definition to give a ringing cry. Much of the Old Testament and Psalms in particular were recited as a means for reminding Israel of their past to give them a hope for the future. And so throughout history, Israel would reflect on this Psalm with the hope that their Messiah would one day complete his work. It may seem then that that song would have been more fitting, Joy to the World would have been more fitting as an Easter song. Nevertheless, it's no surprise that it was adopted into a Christmas song for the way that it embodies the proverbial Christmas spirit with hope and joy and love and peace, themes that come from within our soul and again are outside of our circumstances. As a whole, the goodness of Christ is outside of our circumstances. Thus, our response can be as well. Later this morning, as Jesse mentioned, we're going to be doing our joy offering, and that's intended to respond and give, out of, uh, give to the ministries and causes today as an expression, joyfully seeing Jesus restore Albany and the world. We're giving today despite our circumstances, joyfully expecting to see God work. And as he sees fit to use us and our resources, no matter how great or small, as a conduit. For that work. But before we go to the joy offering, uh, let's continue to look into Christian joy this morning. When was the last time you experienced true joy? Do you choose joy? It can seem trite to say choose joy, uh, especially you, you might find that on a few dozen signs in Hobby Lobby, uh, but it, sometimes you're just not feeling it. If you've ever held a baby, or had a newborn, you've likely experienced joy. Perhaps you've gotten married or been to a wedding and experienced a joy when the, when the couple is formally pronounced. Perhaps you have experienced joy, and rest in the re- uh, joy in the rest and relaxation of a quiet evening when everything seems right in the world, if just for a moment. But no one in this room is a stranger to the things that seem to sap our joy. 
if you've experienced a miscarriage, joy seems fleeting, and interacting with a newborn may bring more pain than joy. Perhaps you or someone you know has been through a divorce or lost their spouse. The joy of the celebration and anticipation of the wedding is dissipated and crushed. And zooming out to a view of the whole world, while no one would deny the countless moments of joy that we can see, it's hard to see in the midst of pain and suffering and loss that joy can always be felt. At least not by way of our own power. Do you remember that joy is a fruit of the Spirit? It's an attribute of the relationship that we have with the living God. And all <clears throat> excuse me, and that is the only way that joy is an emotion that we can experience despite all circumstances. Because this type of joy, this Christian joy, is produced by the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't want you to mishear me uh, that I'm not saying that Jesus simply wants us to be happy and to ignore our hardships. Paul says to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn. But simply and powerfully, Jesus himself is our joy. He has the power to produce joy in us. Paul prays in Romans 15, 13, asking that the God of hope fill you with joy, with all joy and peace in believing so that the power of the Holy Spirit uh, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. He wants that for us. He wants happiness and joy for you so that all of our circumstances, no matter if they're good or bad, should ultimately make us want Him, which is why He can also command us to have joy and we can respond. This command to have joy doesn't dismiss depression, but it acknowledges the need for a good Savior who alone can save us from darkness, and thus we have joy in Him. The thread of joy throughout Scripture doesn't ignore the millennia of pain and loss and suffering that the Israelites experienced, but boldly shows the hope in God to fulfill His promises, and thus they had joy. The spirit attribute of joy as a fruit from the relationship between us and our Savior doesn't distract us from agony. It doesn't protect us from persecution, but it points us to what we believe as better and yet to come. And thus joy is welling up in us from the Spirit despite anything we have gone through or will go through. If Jesus is our joy, then the command to rejoice is to let go of the circumstances and our sense of control and to rejoice ultimately in Him. There are, of course, many examples throughout Scripture where joy uh, is presented as, and commanded outside of our current circumstances. Psalm 105 reflects the joy that Israel had in their exodus, despite their circumstances that we all are familiar with, wandering through the desert, longing for the promised land. They knew that what was to come would be good, and so they rejoiced. Joy doesn't change the reality of our circumstances, but as Christians, our joy is a perspective that our circumstances are fleeting no matter how pleasing or painful. They can still hurt. They can still seem dire and gray. But aren't we not told that joy is an attitude of acknowledging who Christ is and what he has done, just as the, carol, uh, the Christmas carol proclaims? An emotion of happiness from positive events or good things can be as fleeting 
as the emotion of sorrow. But joy is a little bit different, at least Christian joy. And perhaps you're familiar with this verse in Psalm 30, verse 5, which says, For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And in the New Testament, we almost exclusively see joy presented in contrast with less than desirable circumstances. James writes to believers <clears throat> excuse me, in the midst of trials and persecution and temptation. He says, consider it all pure joy. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. It's the human condition to avoid pain and at times ignore it. In this world, though, we will have trouble. But take heart, we're told. Jesus has overcome the world. I like Charles Spurgeon's thought on this, that if we inevitably will have pain and trials and tribulation, he suggests that we should not pray so much for the removal of affliction as for wisdom to make a right use of it. As Paul and James, even Spurgeon and many others have come to understand, is that the redirect from, a, from deep within is an attitude of joy. You may have heard the, the verse that uh, God gives a peace that passes all understanding. And I believe that in this case, that is Christian joy. The fruit of the Spirit and an attitude of us as believers is also a joy that can pass all understanding. I want to reiterate, this is Christian joy. Society says that circumstances dictate our emotions and experiences. But my point is that God is outside of our circumstances, and we have a relationship with that God. We are therefore not victims to our circumstances and our new creations in Christ. I think that's a compelling reason to react differently than the world might in dire circumstances. Look at this verse from Habakkuk. In the time of barrenness and drought and loss, he wrote, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pens and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in God, my Savior, for the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. We have joy because we know there is something better, someone better, the one that has overcome the world and has made us new. Paul writes, this is, this is a paradox, and Paul writes of his own experience in suffering as a Christian, the paradox of joy and suffering as a Christian. In 2 Corinthians 6, he appeals to the church for his ministry saying, do not, do not receive the grace of God in vain. For God says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no, one, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, 
beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. Did you catch that verse towards the end? That line towards the end, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. I don't think I can explain that, and I'm not going to explain how that works other than seeing that time and time again with Jesus, joy and suffering are not mutually exclusive. I also bring up this verse to make note that Paul doesn't say, God took away my sorrow presently, so now I can rejoice. He sits in that discomfort of sorrowful yet rejoicing. Jesus' words in the famous Beatitudes also represent this. Blessed are the poor in, sp in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Down in verse 9 and 10, further on, he says, Blessed are those who, who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when, you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice, because when you have nothing left, you still have Jesus. And perhaps you see more clearly than others, if that's where you're at in life. If in your darkness and trials and sufferings you feel a welling up from the Lord, take it as a comfort and strength, knowing that He is with you, knowing that He's got you covered, that His work is complete, and yet He's still working in you. For that reason, joy is both a gift, and it's a fruit of the Spirit in us that wells up, as well as a command. You may know that the most common command in the Bible is to fear not, have no fear. But did you know that the second most common command is joy? Rejoice in the Lord is the second most common command in Scripture. It sounds preachy, and I don't mean it to be that way, but it's so prevalent throughout Scripture that the command shows up more than 400 times, and it's all because of the work of the Lord, the work of Jesus and his great mercy and grace. I know to hear the command to rejoice always at times is hard to hear. But if we remember the truths in Scripture, the truth of God's character and the work that he has done, the truth that he has a purpose in the things that he does and the things that we go through in good times and bad, then we may be able to respond to that command. It's tension, I know. But again, if Jesus is our joy, then the command to rejoice is to let go of the circumstances and, and our sense of control, like I said before, and rejoice in him because of our relationship. It may sound like it doesn't make sense, especially if you're staring down the barrel of pain and suffering. But take heart and rejoice 
to offload a little bit of the weight that you may feel to keep up this command, remember that he doesn't command us to do anything that we cannot do with him and in him. We can't choose joy in our own power when we think all is lost, but with him, we can. May even the possibility of joy bring you hope this morning. I think it's not a, it's not a command to do, but a command to recognize. That leads me into a couple of ways that we'll respond this morning. Joy specifically in this Advent season is about preparing the hearts, preparing our hearts as well as our homes, remembering the long-awaited birth of Israel, uh, excuse me, the long-awaited birth of Israel's king and savior. It's also about remembering that we're still in a period of waiting for the same king to come back and to make everything new forever. It's about recognizing the tension we feel. A common church tradition of Advent is candle lighting. Each week we light a different candle representing the themes of hope, love, joy, and hope, love, joy, and peace. Yeah. Uh, and on Christmas we'll light the Christ candle. But this morning, as I light the joy candle, let us be remembering that Christ with us allows the paradox of joy as well as suffering. It's a paradox of the already of his salvation and the not yet with him fully. We pause long enough in this busy season to remember, to reflect, and hope. Jesus, as, we light, as I lit this candle, Will we remember the promise that you made to bring light into the dark places? Bring your light and joy into our hearts today, no matter the circumstances.